Welcome to BR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. Today on the show, we have invited content creator Matt Cool. I love that name. Matt is a user interface designer and developer who has a strong understanding and, more importantly, passion for how WebXR might be used to make e learning both immersive and highly accessible to people. He has experience leading cohorts of future coders and designers at Udacity. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. You know, Matt, I always start with an origin story. I'm always curious, as are probably the listeners, as to what got you interested in VR in the first place. Sure. So it was back in the uh, blockbuster era uh, I think ni- 1995 or so, where uh, my first concept of what virtual reality from a hardware perspective would look like, and that was the Virtual Boy from Nintendo. Uh, so uh, this was a short-lived attempt by Nintendo to create this sort of immersive home console, and it was this little um, head-mounted display, or not head-mounted, but a little display that you were meant to just stick your face into uh, and it had two bit monochrome red screens and it cost around one hundred eighty dollars uh, at the time, which is about the price of the Oculus Quest today. Um, so anyway, fast forward to twenty sixteen, and that was the first time that I tried the uh, HTC Vive, and I remember taking it off and I kind of joined that group of people that were like, "Oh, this is the future." Um, but I think I was I was a bit late to the party there and a little bit late to WebXR since I've or, I've only really started tinkering with that in the past year or so. You're right. Your origin story is so similar to you know many of my uh, other interviews, and everyone always seems to get wowed by putting a headset on. And I think the more I talk to people, the more I realize that that might be sort of the trick to to VR continuing to make, I would say, a comeback in education, in enterprises, getting actually getting the headsets on people. Because once people have a headset on, I think the, it's sort of the rest of the story is mute, right? Mm-hmm. Let's, you use the term uh, WebXR. Let's talk a bit about that. Um, first, what is WebXR? And then more importantly, what what is WebXR and how is it better maybe than other forms of uh, immersive uh, environments? Yes, let's uh, make sure we define this uh, for us. So for our purposes, WebXR uh, can just mean uh, we are doing VR, AR, or mixed reality on the web in the browser. Um, but we call we, we refer to WebXR device API as a way to access the input and output capabilities of virtual reality and augmented reality devices on the web. So we can just call it WebXR, and we just mean it's happening in the browser. We're doing VR. We're doing AR. We're doing mixed reality. And why might that be better than, you know, just to set some context for people who might be new to this, you know, if you have uh, an Oculus Quest, the uh, 
the games and applications that one gets from the Oculus Quest, they have to download right to the headset, right? Right. Yes. So there are three big promises with WebXR that I want to emphasize. We One is we send a link. There's no downloading, uh, making sure that people have the latest updates, right? You're trying to, uh, if you're trying to teach a tool um, and you've ever you've ever noticed that, oh, one student doesn't have this version and the UI is different, right? So you don't have to worry about this problem uh, as much anymore. And the the second promise is cross-platform. So we get, you can access it from any device that has a browser and that is using a modern browser. And, and of course, we have to make sure that all the browsers uh, agree and support the features that we use. Um, and then the third, the third big promise is this idea of progressive enhancement, or we can call it maybe platform responsive design or responsive design, that the idea that you can uh, have different, different devices connecting to the same experience and that they can have different experiences based on what device they're using to connect. So that last point becomes really important um, if for example, your class has access to one or two headsets and you want to have activities that engage everyone. Is there a, a huge difference right now in regards to if I think of running things, you know, from the web and I'm hoping to put like high fidelity textures on my assets and objects within my VR experience in WebXR because it's running off the cloud is the quality of my textures on objects and assets significantly lower than if I was downloading an application onto my headset and running it from there? Uh, yeah, so m maybe what we're getting at here is that we're constrained at, uh, in WebXR a bit more um, because we are uh, running things in the browser. Um, but uh, I think... And, and, you know, a lot of like when you look at like Unity and Unreal and Unity does have a, actually like an export to WebXR um, that folks have been working on. But, um, but yeah, there's, there's always these, this constraint there and uh, the resources aren't as abundant in uh, WebXR maybe as like, we don't have like these uh, asset stores and things like that to go to. And uh, there aren't a lot of um, as many you know, pre-built solutions to, to problems. And, uh, so, so yeah, there's in that, in that respect, there's still a lot of work to do. Before we jump into just looking at the difference between 2d, which is flat screen on the computer versus inside VR. Tell us a little bit more about some of your work that you have been doing in this field. Uh, sure. Uh, well, we've, so there's, a uh, two projects that I'm working on. Uh, one is called, uh, Imadu. Uh, .io, and that is uh, basically a teacher-centric hubs classroom and a training solution. And we've been trying to provide ways to make experiences less decorative and more interactive and sort of building out features specifically based for teachers. Now that one we decided, um, the founder uh, decided not to go into uh, full VR yet, but um, it's, it's kind of uh, old there, uh, you know, it would require a lot more work to, to convert it, but it's, it's, uh, since it's using hubs, a hubs client, uh, you could go that direction. And then the other project that I'm working on is called lingo spaces with Michael McDonald. 
And the idea there is to have pre-baked lessons for teachers that they could just send links to their students and have lessons already done in an an environment uh, that they could use freely. So, you know, when we think about e-learning, we could use as you uh, as I alluded to in your introduction, we could use Udacity or some platform like that, which is on the computer to teach people stuff, i.e. e-learning experiences. Or we could use VR or more importantly, WebXR to try and get our message across and teach people what m- makes WebXR maybe better than flat 2D screen learning. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say that so it depends on uh, what our learning objectives are, right? So I know listeners here, a lot of them are familiar with the advantages of using virtual spaces and interaction in those uh, virtual spaces for learning. Um, so uh, I don't, uh, but there are some situations where uh, like an activity maybe in web using WebVR or WebXR would be advantageous. Like, uh, for example, I think the example that we talked about before was about like a language learning situation where you just taught a lesson uh, in directions and like how do I get to this place or go go this way so you have like this uh, the objective of the lesson is to just try to get students using this language of directing people you could have with WebXR you could have a uh, maybe a uh, experience where you have one student that joins in a headset and they're in a maze and then the other students can join on their phones or their, or on a desktop and they see a top-down uh, map of the maze and the students on desktop can see where the objective is and they have to now direct the student in the headset to the objective using the language that you that you've just studied and gone over so this is um just and of course, nobody is downloading any software. Uh, anyone can access it from you know whatever operating system they're using, and you don't have to worry about all that stuff in that case. So you just give everyone a link; they they're into the experience doing the activity. Mm. What a fantastic example! I've talked in previous shows about the whole phenomenon of asymmetrical uh, learning experiences, and the beauty of something like what you just described is that you know maybe you are strapped for resources and you're in a classroom where you only have a few headsets well you can still involve multiple amounts of people now you know a, a good example is the game Akron Attack of the Squirrels i've used Akron in my classroom where someone dons a VR headset and they're this giant tree and then everyone else is on their phones with the app and they're tiny little squirrels and the squirrels have to steal the acorns from the tree and it's about teamwork you know different squirrels have to team up as a strategy and so it's a a lot of fun and as i alluded to it's it's asymmetrical so you're uh you're getting everyone involved but maybe not everyone has a vr headset yes and i love that um i love the the prospect of that Let's shift our attention a bit more to talking about creating experiences or content creation. Mm-hmm. You've been working closely with Mozilla Hubs and you've created some template scenes and environments for them over the last little bit. Why is Mozilla Hubs a great place for someone new or a beginner to web VR 
to start learning to design in and use? Sure. Yeah. From a design standpoint, you can start with Spoke, which is uh, Mozilla's web-based design tool that you can build hub scenes. So learning Spoke is a great entry point. You spend time playing with Spoke's features and they have an architecture kit with prefab pieces like floors and walls, and you can customize all those uh, materials there. Um, and once you start to play around with that and see the constraints in Spoke, there's this whole of other level of customization that you can unlock if you learn Blender. So Blender is not as uh, easy to learn, and uh, it would require more time, I think, to go into. I've been learning it for a year, and I still have no idea like about all of the features that's so feature rich, but it's open source. Uh, so it's free. You can, you can download it uh, today and try it out. Um, and they have a hubs exporter, which is an add on to blender that allows you to export components specifically for use in spoke. So just with these two tools, um, you can unlock so much potential, not only in hubs, but you get some synergy and concepts with design patterns in unreal or Unity. So there's three, the three main things with Spoke though, is it's like an easy mode of Unity or Unreal. Uh, it's extensible because you can use that hubs exporter with Blender and uh, you can add a bunch of uh, functionality with that. And, and it's very shareable and discoverable. If you design something in Spoke, you can publish it in a couple clicks and send a link to somebody and then they can see what you've done. What, what does Blender add that Spoke can't do? Is it adding just greater textures or it has sort of a more uh, robust organic sculpting tool, whereas Spoke doesn't have that. How does Blender help aid Spoke in your VR design? Yeah, so Blender, uh, so Spoke is, uh, Blender has all the modeling tools. Uh, Blender allows you to create pretty much whatever's in your mind uh, and bring it into Spoke, but Spoke itself won't won't help you with 3D modeling and all of that. Um, Spoke is more of like positioning elements and getting the elements together. Awesome. If that makes sense. It does. Let's get into, so modeling what we might call almost world building where you're creating assets and then just placing them into an environment which creates this amazing 3D world. But we often sort of reflect and say like the key to a memorable and enjoyable and engaging learning experience is interactivity. So to what extent are we able to build the concept of interacting with things like grabbing objects or throwing objects or pushing buttons? How well can Mozilla Hubs do that? Yeah, so currently there are networked interactable objects in Hubs. Uh, we have things like video players, spawners, media frames, but it's not super easy right now to customize these in meaningful ways without uh, having a working knowledge of networked A-frame, which is like the flavor of A-frame we use in hubs and 3JS and web development. Uh, so the hubs team has been exploring ways to create more interactivity in hub in uh, spoke for a while now, actually. And uh, they just made an announcement last week about the intention to create things like buttons and trigger tools and things like that to add interactivity. Let's, let's unpack this even more. So many schools want to develop a curriculum that starts to incorporate not just VR consumption, but VR content creation into their programs. However, 
most don't maybe know where to start. So some of the popular platforms for designing VR experiences are Unity, which you mentioned, Unreal Engine, and then a third one that I just uh, stumbled across a few months ago is A-Frame. So if I'm a high school or even maybe a middle school teacher and I want to start a program or a course on VR content creation, or more importantly, probably web VR content creation, which of the three big ones that I mentioned would you suggest they start with? Yeah, so A-Frame uh, all the way for me. Uh, there's no installs with A-Frame. I mean, just installing Unity on everyone's computer, that alone is like a pretty daunting uh, task. There's no need for an expensive desktop computer. Um, I know like on my $3,000, I have like a $3,500 MacBook and running Unreal is still kind of a nightmare. Um, so, And it's just simpler than anything else. Um, you get results faster. Uh, it helps motivate the students to see they can just send these results uh, to their friends and, you know, they can be proud of what they made uh, and they can make something that's fairly meaningful in a couple hours. A uh, great starting point for educators might be to check out the workshop that Kieran Farr and uh, Icicle Yonit put on. Um, they have a, there's a web XR meetup group there and I can give you the link uh, for your show notes later for that, but it's, it's great the way they did it because they just created a game using A-Frame and it's very approachable kind of project-based way of uh, doing it. And they use a tool called Glitch, um, which Glitch is a code edit as a web-based code editor. And that's nice because you get to see the results right away. You don't have to set up any environments for the students and they can just work quickly and, and make edits and then see the results. You know, the other thing about the connection between A-Frame and what you mentioned glitches, they not only can they do it on their computer and see, you know, they might want to adjust the size of something and bam, hit run code, and they can see it on their computer, but they can also hit bam and then put a headset on and instantly see what it looks like right in the VR world, which I love. Yes. Yeah, I love that too. And I use it. I use it myself. It's great. So a big stumbling block for teachers as is the case with all educators out there, is they're so busy just staying on top of marking, you know, contacting parents. You know, there's a daily grind associated with classroom teachers that they may not have the time and wherewithal to learn coding or scripting. Um, what's your philosophy? I know MIT came up with uh, block-based coding called Scratch, which made it so much easier to teach robotics. And pretty soon, lots of schools around the world started to have robotics because Scratch made it so easy to drag and drop these blocks and add sort of uh, under the hood scripting, if you will. What do you think philosophically, personally, should people still learn coding? Or do you think people can get away with not learning coding when they're teaching VR content creation? Yeah, I think that's a great, that's another great question. Like um, I know a lot of the listeners here and you all will be more familiar with this uh, debate than me, but for my perspective, you know, as design tools and these no code solutions keep becoming better and better at creating the outcome that we want. I think teaching the tool, uh, that tool is actually a great way to start and will produce the least amount of friction and get the students problem solving, collaborating, and creating. Um, 
on the other hand, it's also good, I think, to find a balance because there will be students who want to pursue a deeper knowledge of what's happening sort of under the hood, right? So something, uh, if there's a way that we could also encourage those students, um, since we're going to need that in the real world, world anyway, because, you know, even if we have these great high level design tools uh, that solve problems for us now, they're not going to solve all of the future problems, right? Because as time changes, our problems change. Good answer. I took it upon myself these last three months to start to dive into uh, coding that A-frame teaches you. And I have to admit, again, I'm coming from a chemistry background, so I'm not a computer science uh, graduate at all. And I find the amount of HTML code that they're sort of unpacking for you to learn A-frame is manageable, in my humble opinion. And that's why I sort of gravitated towards A-frame and it just seems so uh, scaffolded and easy to understand. And so I think for the listeners out there, you know, if there's a, a coding light, if you will, I, I encourage them to look at maybe uh, understanding and learning the A-frame because it hasn't taken me that long and I'm by no means a rocket science when it, scientist when it comes to coding. So yeah, I think um, that's, I'm looking forward to that game. I heard, remember you, I think you said something about uh, you were building a game. Yeah, it's getting there. <laughs> so I don't know if you watched Survivor as a as a kid growing up, but uh, I did. I watched a lot of the, the uh, TV show Survivor. And on Survivor, one of the very first episodes, they had this, you know, it was a tile flipping game. So they had this, uh, they had this field filled with these tiles and the, all the participants had to find a spot on the tiles. And there was, a, you know, approximately uh, 36 tiles out there. And everyone started on a different square or tile. And then they had to move. And when they moved, the tile that they just finished stepping off of, they had to flip over. And no one was allowed to step onto that tile anymore. It maybe changed from green to red now. And everyone kept making these moves. They couldn't go... They couldn't jump two at a time. They had to move on the board one tile at a time. And as they flipped over tiles, you started to eliminate possibilities. And pretty soon you could block people out. And so I, I'm kind of building that inside A-frame slowly. I'm just getting sort of hang of the the interactivity part. So that that's my game or work in progress. Nice. Um, what's the future hold for you and web VR? Um, well, I, I am working on um, the Lingo Spaces project, uh, and that's that's kind of um, kind of a, an exciting th prospect for for me um, because I I just want to see how teachers use this, um, and I'm really interested in looking at what applications uh, VR can have, especially on the web for training and uh, just making training really accessible and education really accessible. Um, and, you know, just using those as, as uh, just seeing it as, I see it as a better way to, to train. Um, and I think there's some research now to support that, but um, that's just the way, uh, the way I see it now. You also do a number of meetups and you have some things with Udacity, no? Oh yeah, thanks for uh, mentioning the meetups. I I am the organizer of the uh, Hubs Creator uh, meetup, so I'd like to welcome everyone there as well. If you're interested in creating Hubs experiences, 
our goal there is just to help the community build better hubs experiences. And uh, we do sort of show and tells and workshops around Spoke and Blender uh, and hubs. And how do people find where that is? Oh, that's on uh, meetups.com. Okay. Awesome. If people wanted to get a hold of you, like, you know, you, you and uh, Michael McDonald ended up hooking up. How, how do people, let's say they are interested, like Michael McDonald was, you know, uh, Michael McDonald's been on the show a couple times for me. And, you know, he's an avid uh, teacher inside VR. And I, obviously, he, he sought you out because he needed a little bit more expertise in helping build a more robust experience. Maybe there are other people out there interested in that. How would they get a hold of you, Matt? Sure. I'd love to work with them. Um, I'm at Matt B. Cool on Twitter and pl- please feel free to reach out and let me know what you are thinking about and maybe uh, maybe we can all build it. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for taking time out to be on the show today. Thank you, Craig. Have a great day.